Hey y'all, welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love looking for writing secrets. Like our podcast, we are a work in progress. I am Dana, and today I'm trying to set goals for a write-a-thon that will actually be motivating to me instead of just more stress-inducing barriers to actually writing. Is it the Clarion? It is indeed the Clarion write-a-thon. Oh, I'm so excited for that. I'm honestly looking forward to those lectures because then I can feel, to me, Clarion feels very bougie. Um, <laughs> very, it's like, it, this is what the serious writers do who then become amazing. Uh, so the fact that I somehow get to sneak in in any way possible and hear some of the lectures, it's a good feeling. It's neat. It's neat. <laughs> and I'm Leah. And today I woke up with like a fiery determination to write. Have you ever had yeah. one of those days? Yeah, I haven't written for a lot of this week because work has been so busy. And so I'm like, if, if I do anything today, it will be to write. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited. I have like some great new tea. I'm gonna drink it and write for a few hours tonight, hopefully. Yeah, we love we love new tea. We love some energy to write. Um, and it's awesome when that happens on, you know, a weekend day instead of when you're like in the middle of doing 10 million other things. Not that weekends don't go like that too sometimes. But in addition to us, also joining us today is our friend and fellow writer, Emily. Emily, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know how writing's going today, lately, what the vibe is. Hello, I am Emily. I have a booktube channel called Ink Not Blood. And instead of writing, I have been daydreaming about designing a YouTube reality game show for writers. So Ooh. that's, you know, a thing in my brain. Yo, I want... I kind of want to hear about that. Yeah, I have follow-up <laughs> questions. But... Yeah, have you seen The Circle? It's like that, but with yeah. writing. See, the best part is I actually still haven't seen The Circle. I've just seen people talk about The Circle. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a Survivor fan, personally, mm. but The Circle fulfills that in a very strange and COVID-friendly, isolated way, which right. I find kind of fascinating. That's fun. Well, we're definitely going to have to talk more about that later. But first, <laughs> this week, we are doing a flashback episode on a book of your choice, Emily, uh, Wolf Tower by Tanith Lee. Wolf Tower follows the story of Clady, a girl raised as a mistreated maid in a hierarchical oasis deep in the forbidding wastes with a capital W. When a handsome prince called Nemean is captured there, she manages to escape with him and journey towards his home in Wolf Tower, traveling through incredible places with surprising companions, including a very handsome traveler leader named Argul. But neither the world nor the people she meets are what Clady expects, and as she gets closer to the sinister destiny of the tower, she will have to make a choice about who she wants to be much like all of us. <laughs> um, the way I got goosebumps yeah. with that last question, that was a really good song. I was like, that sounds like a good book. When I finally write my book, I'm going to have you write my blurb for me on the back of the, the I would love that. So. That sounds like Thank such a- Thank you in a, advance. Yeah, no, I'm, I would be delighted to have another way to procrastinate doing uh, my own writing too. <laughs> 
Um, so this was really, I mean, this was really fun. This was a book that you picked, Emily, um, and a book that I don't think, Leah, you hadn't read before. Um, I had read uh, once long ago as a kid, but basically remembered very, very little of it and was so excited to return to it. Can you tell us why why you picked this book as one you wanted to like return to and think about for a flashback episode? So I went through a list of a ton of books that I knew that I had really liked as a kid. Um, but this one really has stuck in my brain. I think it's probably one of the first fantasy series that I read as a kid. Um, and it's... I always make this joke that it's been haunting me for the past two decades because I read it when I was a kid. And then as I got older, I, I, I'd forgotten about it. And then a couple years ago, I think it was around when I started doing booktube, I was like, what was that one book? I read it as a kid. What was it? And there was something about it, about like kind of the imagery of this like desert fantasy setting that really was lodged in my brain but I couldn't remember anything about the book so I you know I every once in a while I'd be like I'm gonna find it today and I'd sit down and I'd google things and I'd be like hmm (laughs) girl protagonist fantasy maybe there's a prince and it's like you're not you know I'm not finding anything there's no Zero or rather you're finding there. everything and not the right. book you're looking for. Exactly. And so I was like, this is, this is hopeless. Like it's lost forever to my brain, the, the deep recesses of, of that. And then one day I'm, I'm in Salvation Army browsing the bookshelf and this golden spine is just like peering at me. And I'm like, oh my God. And all of a sudden <laughs> it's like my mind just like bursts into flames. I'm like, that's it. That's it. And so I bought it and then proceeded to pick it up one time, start reading it. And I was like, man, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is what I remember and put it back down. So I was like, you know what? This is the time where I go back and I figure out why that book stuck with me so much, even though I remembered almost nothing about it. It is so funny that you say that because truly when you, when you suggested this book, this was, that was basically my exact vibe uh, talking to Leah, I was like, I definitely read this book. I remember being really into it. And she was like, oh, like, what did, what did, were you into? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> the only thing I remember is that there was sort of a love triangle and one of the love interests was bad and the other one was good. And I liked the good one. <laughs> that describes most YA. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> of that, of the era. And also very clearly describes my priorities as a young reader, which was like, but is there kissing, though? <laughs> yeah. It was interesting reading this because I think, I mean, like I said, the love triangle does does kind of match a lot of early YA, but this book was also published before YA was YA. So I think it almost, it's almost in this weird in-between between like YA and middle grade that existed during that time. Um, which made for, I think, kind of an interesting read. It definitely, this is another book where I picked it up and it felt like I was reading a book from a different era. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I have to ask then. So having now reread it, what do you think it is that stuck with you? Or what jumped out at you this time that was like, oh, interesting? It It's definitely the fantasy world elements that really stuck with me. So when I when I was trying to remember what the book was, I kept going back to 
something that's actually in the second book of the series, but it was like a palace where all the rooms are always changing all the time. Mm. And it was like little things like that, where it was just like these flashes of images that I couldn't quite place, but were very fantastical and just really held on to my attention. And those were also my favorite parts now rereading it. Mm -hmm. The fantasy world, all the different places that she goes and, and how they're different, how the people are different. Like I, the sheep people, despite the fact that they (laughs) sold her to be a sacrifice, I I would like to visit the sheep people and, you know, learn their ways. Emily's like, I'll take my chances. I might be sacrificed, (laughs) but you know what? It's worth it. I just, I have to, I'm not sure if I admire or if I'm disappointed that when naming this uh, tribe of people that Tanithly went for sheepers and not sheeple, which was right there. (laughs) Um, But I guess sheeples, it's a little little, little more just tongue in cheek as opposed to what people (laughs) might actually call themselves if they were really into sheep, which I guess was their whole vibe. I just I want to put ribbons and beads into into sheep's wool and you know yeah save their skulls afterwards yeah because that's a thing sure that's a thing that's, that is the like, thing that happened in this book you know <laughs> I, it's, it's vaguely creepy the sheep are as fierce as lions apparently that was something that stuck with me I thought that was kind of interesting mm-hmm and then you've got you know the 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 people with the clock mm-hmm yeah and that you know in uh Pashamba, that's very so many images that really stick with you these like doll robot mm. guards and things um and then in the marsh with the river jaws and they worship the moon and they're riding these alligators and there's marsh lightning mm-hmm. and all of that those those images really really got me yeah i i it was fun to return to those because i didn't remember that at all from when i read it as a kid but it, it was definitely uh, it was interesting. I feel like a lot of it to me, I feel like I've been talking so much about like D&D and role playing <laughs> games lately on this podcast, but it it some of the structure of that felt to me a little bit more like a D&D campaign in terms of like, okay, we're in this cool place now. This place is weird and different and here's how it's weird and different and now we're on to this next place. And it didn't necessarily feel as like driven, mm-hmm. I think as as a as a plot. But yeah, it was sort of, you know, they're going on a journey and they go to place one, place two, place three, and they were all super interesting and weird. And I do love, like, when we do get to see shreds of a more complicated world than the character that we're following maybe even has the capacity to understand, right? I mean, like, one of the first uh, places they don't even really go to, but they see is when Clady and Nemean are crossing the wastes before they get to the sheeple. And this dust storm kicks up, uh, you know, all all the sand of the desert, and they see this like abandoned, ruined city that's been buried under the wastes, and then it's gone. And they don't, we don't return to it. We hear a couple times that some of the characters are like, "Man, I thought all the cities were gone. I thought all this," and it's like, "Gone? What do you mean gone? So you know there were cities. What happened?" Yeah. And. I kind of like when we do those kinds of things that say the world here is incredibly vast, it's complex, our characters don't have the capacity to grasp it, and we're not, that's also not the point, right? Like, we don't get, I forget if they answer that question in later books, but we don't get any answers as to what happened to create the wastes or to create these, like, very isolated little kingdoms of 
very different people. Uh, like we don't get any of those answers, but I kind of like that those questions were lifted. And at the same time, it sort of made the narrative feel a little bit more like different beads on the same string instead of like, to me, it felt very episodic. And I was, yes, I that's was, what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, <laughs> I was reflecting on, on this because um, I tend to, when I think of book ideas, one of the first things that ends up coming to mind is they're going to go on a quest, which is a classic, but this isn't even really a quest. This is a journey, um, which feels slightly different, but also I think is something that you saw a lot more in early fantasy. I don't get the sense that you see journeys and quests a lot now. And I was thinking about Star Trek, the difference between, um, I think maybe a, one of the clearest examples is if you compare Star Trek The Next Generation, which has Captain Picard, and Star Trek Picard, and I think part of the reason why the audience who loved The Next Generation didn't like Picard was because the style of storytelling changed. So in, mm. in The Next Generation and all of the earlier iterations of Star Trek, it's very episodic. You know, every episode they go to a new planet, you kind of learn about the new planet, and then you're gone. Does it show up again? Probably not. Uh, it, but maybe there's like one thing at the end that is kind of a light through line, but it isn't really. Like at the end of season one, they're like, yeah, now there are these terrifying creatures that are chasing after you. And then pretty much all of season two, they're not mentioned like at all. They're just continuing to do episodic weird things, you know? Um, whereas the modern uh, Star Trek Picard, it's very plot focused. They're still kind of going on like a quest, but it's very focused on answering one core question. You don't really deviate from that question. There are things that go wrong and force the characters to kind of go about it in a kind of loopy way, but they're still very focused on solving the core mystery. You didn't have that in the original Star Trek. And that's what that this book reminded me of. Now you know all about Star Trek. I didn't expect to rant that long about yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, let me give you an in-depth example for a very small <laughs> point, but here we are. <laughs> no, I love it. We're trying to learn from other stories, and uh, Star Trek's not a book, but it's a, it's. there's a lot of stories there that we can learn a heck of a lot from. If I'm allowed to bring up D&D as often as I do, you're certainly allowed to bring up Star Trek. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that the, the journey model like the episodic journey model does kind of work for Clady's story mm. because like she that she has come from this life where she has been mistreated her her entire life and knows nothing else so she's she doesn't have like an end goal in mind she's just like anything but that so she's just kind of going out and being like and whatever happens happens because what else am I gonna do go back mm. no yeah so it it does feel like the stakes don't feel as high because there's no big one goal other than getting to this place. Mm -hmm. But for her, the stakes are more are so internal. Like who mm -hmm. am I? Because that comes up so much throughout the throughout the book. She's like, I don't know who I am, and that's really the the quest that she's going on, if you will. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I totally agree. Right, like. As much as, like, that description that I gave at the beginning is a description of what happens, not actually what the story is. The story is Clady uh, discovering that the things that she thought were true are not, right? About people, about places, about herself. And 
that it's a very internal journey but there's so much happening externally right like this is not a book that feels like it focuses like on you know deep self-reflection largely because i mean Clady is a, a kid who's starting to do some self-reflection and that doesn't, you know, she's not writing long, uh, you know, deeply philosophical thoughts about the nature of the self. She's <laughs> just sort of going from place to place and being like, I had a weird reaction to this place. Okay, next one. <laughs> Boy, this weird reaction, uh, this, you know, I'm starting to get a sense of theme here. And the theme is that um, my first impressions are not always correct. And like, you have this sort of light through mm. line but it's a very like externally focused plot for a very internally focused narrative, mm. which I thought was really interesting. Like there were parts of it that I, I definitely like, it was interesting to look at as a story. I'm not sure how much it really grabbed me, at least like reading it again at this age. Like I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm more at a stage where I'm like, if we're doing an internal narrative, let's dive deep into the philosophical mm. analysis of the psyche, which, yeah, maybe doesn't make sense for the the young teen girl who's just left her home for the first time. And like, yeah, makes sense. But I also like I personally am interested in that. Or if we're going to go explore these worlds, then like I want there to be a driving through line rather than mm -hmm. this kind of episodic uh, structure. So I'm not sure that it like super like motivated me as a reader, but I thought it was a really interesting structure and a really interesting set of choices to make for this story. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I picked it up once before just a couple years ago and then couldn't mm -hmm. finish it because I was mm -hmm. just like, oh, what is this? Like, I just, I can't. <laughs> and it just, but when I was a kid, I was so into it because mm -hmm. I, I guess I was, you know, not thinking about it as critically and I can see how I would identify with Clady. Mm -hmm. Just so many things. She, like her sass and her self-deprecation and just like the glaring hyper awareness of everyone but also deep insecurity it was just like it was like oh god I'm looking at my teenage self and I don't like it I thought it was really interesting all of the entries about um Nemean because she she would be like he was really mean to me and I don't like him anymore and I also I mean I do like him but I don't want him to know that I like him and then the next day he kisses her and she's like, he definitely likes me and he's dashing and amazing. <laughs> and I remember you as a teen, because I think you're starting to suss out more of these social relationships. So every small thing that someone else does, you're like, what does it mean? What are they trying to communicate? Mm -hmm. Which as an adult, I was like, Mimian is trash. <laughs> He is stringing you along, and he's rude. He's horrible. I was so mad. The rage that I felt while reading this, I was just like, and I, and I, I, I knew something must happen at the end, but I couldn't remember what, and I was just like, <laughs> I hate him. I was like, like, there were so many times where I was like, ta I'm taking notes, right? Mm -hmm. And he'll say something, and I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> or like her reaction to it, and I'm like, girl, no, girl, you're in danger. Run. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, wow, that was really rude. I wonder if, like, I'm really provoking him. And it's like, oh, no! <laughs> no, and she's just... And it, it hurts because I, I, I feel it so deeply in my soul mm -hmm. of, like, how, I remember how insecure I was as a teenager. And her entire relationship with Nemean is just, like, trying to figure out what he's feeling, frustrated that he's not communicating with her, 
second-guessing herself every step of the way and just assuming that she is trash and deserves to be treated the way she's being treated, which is yeah. just, like, heartbreaking. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about it because I'm at one, on one hand, I'm like, okay, like, I know in the end we're like, this guy is not the right guy. Yay. But at the same time, it's just so painful to watch. There's definitely an interesting trade-off or maybe trade-off is the wrong word, but certainly as an, you know, an adult reader reading books for younger children and being like, I see that this is realistic. I don't know if that mm-hmm. means I like it personally. And and it of course there's always those like bigger questions of like when is it helpful for younger readers to see themselves and their own mistakes reflected in books versus seeing a character recognize those mistakes and make different choices. Like there's, you know, I mean, I know there's, there's reams and reams of essays on this, but I do, I do totally agree that a lot of the things that sometimes were frustrating for me as a reader, I also was like, but that's deeply realistic. And I remember being that and feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Which does bring me to something that I definitely wanted to talk about because uh, the most embarrassing part of this for me was that reading this book did not feel all that different than reading like a fantasy version of my own diaries, right? Yes! Because that's, yeah. that, and that's the structure here, right? It's a first person narrative and it's a first person diary narrative, which yes, felt very embarrassing to be like, oh God, I remember like, yes, she's sitting there like, who am I? Anyways, this, and I'm like, yep, that's that's how that's how my diary entries from that age read. Uh-huh. I know, I know, it's so bad, because I felt the exact same way, and I was just like, yeah. oh no, like, oh, because as an adult, the number of times I cringe while, while reading it, it was like, did you ever see the movie Eighth Grade? Not yet. There's so much there's so much awkwardness in it and it's just like the whole time I'm watching I'm like this is so good but also I feel too seen. Like the old me feels too seen and it's uncomfortable and that's how I felt reading this. Because I, at some point I was like, "Oh, like this is this story is basically about a first love, you know, because this is the first time that she's going out into the world, the first time that she's meeting someone that she has feelings for. She's picked a bad apple and she doesn't know it. And because it's yep. also new and so exciting, she it takes her so long to see it. Yeah, and uh, and reading that, I do not wish to be perceived in uh, <laughs> in this way. But I do think um, beyond the way that it can be like reflective of of certainly like in this case our past experiences, I feel like it is a really interesting. It's an interesting structure to reflect on, like that choice of voice using that first person narrative and specifically this diary format. And I remember reading a lot of books, actually, with that structure around Mm -hmm. that age. And at the same time, I have never once been tempted to write one. I've never I've never been tempted to write that. I'm curious what we think about, like, choosing that as the format and the structure for this. Did that work for y'all or were there parts where you were like, "Eh, not so much? Uh, I I tend to prefer. Like you can, I feel like people use the journal diary entries as a way to like get you closer Mm. to the narrator. But like, I feel like you can do that in first person. Mm -hmm. You know, you can give us those deep insights. I guess it gives you this opportunity to be like, to tease information, to be like, oh, this thing happened and I'm all Mm -hmm. shook up about it. But let me start from the beginning. And I'm like, okay, like, is this, does that really hook me or does that just annoy me because I could have skipped that paragraph? Right. And I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel like it works because I think that 
the idea of her being really isolated on this journey, even though she's surrounded by people, that isolation she kind of focuses mm-hmm. into this book where she's writing. And I mean, as someone who kept a journal for many, many years as a kid, that was how I felt about it. It was like, I am isolated and this is where I put my feelings. Mm-hmm. So it made sense to me, but I-, I did find myself getting annoyed when we were like, oh, here's a little teaser mm-hmm. and then let's go back. Yeah. I actually had that exact thing in my notes um, as well. And mm-hmm. I think it worked. I, I think it works sometimes. I think it's something that you use more sparingly and it worked. It worked better when you could tell from that opening paragraph that Clady had gotten caught up in her emotions about something. Like she was like, I'm so upset about this or I'm really excited about this. Hold on, let me go back. It didn't work as well when it felt like the author, it was very clearly the author trying to foreshadow and create suspense. And I think there's kind of also a double-edged sword to that format because while you can build suspense with that luring paragraph, the result of this diary entry is every time something scary happens, I'm thinking of that kind of, ape bear creature in the in the swamp I was reading that like yeah they're gonna get out of it and she spent all of this time describing it I think also sometimes and again I was talking to Dana about this earlier while the journal was internally focused it sometimes didn't seem very interested in actually exploring those internal feelings so again she'd be like who am I like I think I'm changing so then there was this clock at Prashab, and it's like, why are you changing? Like, what is <laughs> happening here? And maybe it's just because I remember my diary as a teen, and maybe it's because I was a very emotional teen, a teen. So I'd be like, I'm changing, and here's how, and I don't even recognize myself. And so sometimes it felt like it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Does it want to be this internal story mm-hmm. with a very narrow focused view of how Clady is experiencing the world? Because the other time is sometimes she would describe the world totally separate from how Clady was experiencing it. Or she would describe interactions between people totally separate from how Clady was experiencing it. And sometimes she wouldn't. Because I think the the journal entry style can work. Like Annihilation did it. And granted that is an adult book, Mm. so slightly different, but because, and Annihilation also had very strange and weird worlds. So you can have those hints, but the weird world serves to further focus on and drive the internal conflict in a way. And I think it almost felt like this book couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Yeah, I I feel like if I had been an editor looking at this manuscript, I would have suggested not doing everything in journal entries Mm. and sprinkling journal entries throughout a first person Mm. perspective narrative. Because I feel like then you could really focus those on Clady wrestling with that internal, uh, all the internal turmoil. Because like, there's always this bit of skepticism when you're like, oh, this is written as a journal entry. And they're Mm -hmm. like giving you line by line dialogue. And you're like, (laughs) right, that's how we all write journal entries. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody does that. So I feel like a mix would have, that would have been my suggestion. I think that would have worked perfectly. Yeah, I feel like the thing that, um, yeah, there's there's always these like drawbacks when you're doing a, a journal style, which is that when you start the entry, you automatically know, similar like what you were saying, Leah, like, okay, well, my protagonist survives, right? Because she had to sit down and write this entry, so I know she's okay to some extent. Like, she's alive, she can write, 
these things are these things are true and and i think like there it was used in an interesting way and you know obviously has some of the drawbacks and and sometimes you can choose those drawbacks because the benefits you're gaining are worth it but i felt like at least the things that i usually enjoy most about a journal structure the things that you can only kind of do with that structure i didn't feel like this story really mm. leaned into them for like for example i think my favorite thing that you can do with a with a diary structure is you can have like instead of dramatic irony where you as the reader know more than the characters in the book you can have this like second level of that where your protagonist knows more than they did in the moment they're writing about mm -hmm. right and there you can get the kind of vibe of like little did i know you know or this like that was the last time that whatever like this this kind of fascinating like multi-layers of a character looking back at in experience fairly recently or long ago with new knowledge, it would have been so interesting to have moments where, you know, describing Clady walking away from Argul and turning him down, but writing that entry from a perspective where she now knows that is an error and trying to describe, like, it's, it's such a hard thing sometimes, right, to describe feelings that you felt once that you now realize were wrong, mm. ideas that you had once that you now realize were wrong, and watching a character wrestle with those mm -hmm. in the process of the narrative can be mm -hmm. really interesting because, like, that scene reads very differently if we're reading it in the voice of Clady who still thinks it was a good decision mm. versus mm -hmm. future Clady who thinks now it was a bad decision but is trying to represent how she felt at the time because you don't actually you can't actually separate those i feel like that's the thing that really can be really compelling about that sort of structure and instead it very much felt to me like this book only really remembered that mm -hmm. it was a diary book at the mm -hmm. beginning of the entries and then it's like no longer a diary entry really you know apart from the fact of like occasionally we'll use abbreviations but even those conventions mm -hmm. kind of petered out as the book went on yeah yeah and then there's the weird like oh, you imaginary reader, this person I've made up, and we're all like, <laughs> wink, wink, that's us. Like, Which doesn't play a role until the end when she's like, oh, I think that you've helped me. Mm. I think I can hear you. And I'm like, I just don't know if we need this. Like, yeah. Do I yeah. need to feel like I'm being addressed by her? No. And a lot of the things that you are talking about in that, you know, a character being able to retell something that happened with their later knowledge you can do that in first person perspective as long as you're yeah. using past tense like that's one of my favorite like that is why i use past tense when i write is because i like to put in those little those little shadows of like mm -hmm. i didn't know it then but so and so would become my best friend you know like you can you can add that knowledge in you don't need it to be a journal entry i was actually thinking about the author's note after I finished because I shared it in the group chat at the beginning with are you like are you serious like I wish I had this writing process because what she wrote is um, <laughs> she basically said she experiences everything that she's writing about she can hear it feel it this makes the writing down part very simple most of the time I only need to describe what's already in front of me and when I first read it I was like God, I wish that were me because I, I, the writing down part does not feel simple. But having read it, I can see now why she said it because to me it, feel, it felt like, it almost felt like she didn't go back and reflect on the story structure. It kind of, it had this meandering quality. Like if, I think if we asked her, are you a pantser or a plotter? She would say, I'm a pantser. 
because that's how it felt at points, which can lend itself really well to, I think, uh, making this kind of diary entry, lived experience journey more realistic. But also sometimes there are points where I was like, why is why is this happening? And also, why isn't Clady asking? And it frustrated me as well because she would be like, there's one part at the end where she's talking to Argul and she's like, I know Argul thinks I'm so clever and he need, I just realized that he's, he's pausing so he can let me figure out something for myself. After he explained something to her that we as the reader already knew and she already knew. And I was like, what, why do you think, what is going on here? And then because Tanith Lee didn't want us to know Clady's plan, she had Clady wrote, I spoke very fast what the plan would be. And then the plan happens later on. And I was like, that doesn't seem like how you would write that. <laughs> it just, it felt so, I don't know. It just, it felt like there were a lot of really interesting pieces in the whole book that just didn't quite fit together. Yeah, I think meandering is also, is, is definitely a yes. word I would associate with this. Yes. No wonder the plot didn't stick with me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Also, I feel like I, I should say that that moment that you mentioned where he's like, oh, yeah, it, it, she says that, oh, he waited for me to tell him what I was going to say. And she's like, I, I wrote this down. And he did wait. He likes <laughs> me, too. He thinks I have a right to scrabble around trying to think for myself. And I, and I go, wow, <laughs> low bar, girl. Like, damn. <laughs> Well, it's, it's also weird because part of her journey is realizing that she can think for herself. So to have that framed within, mm. oh, it was a boy who paused. And that's the first time you really see her start to do that is right at the end. Throughout the book, she's very, who am I? What am yes. I doing? She doesn't really investigate those thoughts very deeply. And she doesn't make any decisions. Right, right, exactly. So then the the moment that we see her have agency, and it's it's so weird to me that it's framed within this boy waiting for her, because you, you can already see her processing before then, like, these laws are absurd. I've experienced this time and time again. I think that's one of the themes of the book. It actually is kind of... You know, religion can be helpful, but also absurd. Laws can be helpful, but maybe also absurd. It, you know, there, we need to critically think about the kind of guiding principles that we're engaging with in our life. And you start to see her really connect all the things that have happened to her because in her previous life, she also lived these absurd rituals. And now she's seeing it again, but she's in a place of power now. And I wanted to see her kind of ruminate on that more and make that that connection instant and obvious without it without it just being like it felt like the author was like and here's the message and it only came because of this point it felt like the author was writing the message to us when clady had basically already realized it herself in the journal entries and i was like why are you telling me this again in an obvious way and through the lens of a boy like oh it made I me know. so mad i'm sorry please go ahead no there, there was another there was another moment where she was like saying that she was like channeling our ghoul and she's like oh yeah I was yes. tall and confident and then you know she like spilled like this wine's not very good and pours it on the floor and I was like girl that's not our ghoul that's you mm. you've been sassy mm -hmm. like that this whole time like mm -hmm. I, take take responsibility for your own strength don't credit it to somebody else it's very very uh frustrating it was especially weird because as a reader we didn't really get to know our ghoul that well it wasn't until... Yeah, that was another thing that bothered me. <laughs> yeah, I got the sense that 
at some point the writer was just like and now they're their love interest so now the journal entries were like oh yeah by the way I spent some time with our ghoul I did all these things like you don't see their connection build at all because partly because she's yeah. so focused on Nemean which look I get it as a teen I get it <laughs> I get it I get it because you you're focused on this one boy and then you're like this one boy is actually trash and then you sift back through your memories or you know maybe it's also this one girl this one person this one love interest and you're like, wait a minute, I was also spending time with this other person. Maybe I like Amazing. them instead. It's not very satisfying as a reader because I also found myself being like, why does our ghoul keep showing up to save her? And why isn't she asking this? Especially as someone who's like, who deals with that kind of insecurity. Felt like the relationships, like I could see what the author was trying to get at, but I just don't think they were executed very well. I I would totally agree. And I actually think that these problems are connected Ooh. because I feel like the reason that we have that scene, right, where we're like, oh, Clady's realizing her power. Also, she's realizing her power because of our ghoul and like that kind of, you know, nexus of things is because the story was trying to very quickly communicate both the end of Clady's journey mm -hmm. and also the development of this relationship that hadn't been previously developed, mm. right? And trying to do both of those things at once ended up kind of muddying the message of both, right? It was not really a moment of Clady just stepping into her own power, nor was it really just a moment of romance of like, oh yes, these people connect and boy, he's so different from Nimi and he really respects her. Like both of those moments could have existed and been so much better if they were just set a little bit mm -hmm. apart but there wasn't that much mm -hmm. time left because so much of this story had been focused on Nemean on sort of describing these sort of different places that they happened through and I agree like it's an area where um you know yeah it reminded me a lot of my old diary entries there's also a reason that my diary entries are not a book because realistically yes as a kid it was totally like this boy's the best, I'm in love with this person, he's the greatest, and then the next day it's like, actually, am I in love with this person? <laughs> like, yes, that was, that's deeply realistic. Oh, absolutely. Not necessarily the most compelling narrative, but I also do think, like, a thing that's always interesting when we look back at books that were compelling for us as kids to... One of the things that I always try and remember is, like, I certainly, looking back at this, I'm like, Argyll's barely in this book. Mm -hmm. Like, what's he doing? I don't, we have, we have a, we don't even really have personality points for him beyond he saves Clady several times and he has a magic charm that says he cares about her, which is, you know, at least part of why he's been saving her. Cool. But like, we don't get romance, but also like as a kid, I, I filled in the gaps, right? Mm -hmm. That, that was the thing that I, mm -hmm. that I held on to. And I think similarly, like we're talking about like, is this the right use of the diary structure that feels like it's been done so many times? And I feel like it's always interesting to step back and realize like, oh man, but these are, these are the books that built up my sense of this has been done so many times, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Which I think still like, it still means that like looking back at the story, I'm like, yeah, just there's so much of it that doesn't really work for me. But it can be interesting to try and like to step back from that and be like, but it's funny because I bet part of the reason that I think that is actually because of this book and because I read this book at the age that I did. Yeah, I think I think so much of why books stick with us. And we talked about this in our very first episode does have to do with it. It was the right book at the right time. Mm. Yeah. Um, and if you kind of miss that window, I think there are some books that are still like, you know, we also read Ella Enchanted 
And that book, even though I read it and I did feel some distance from the characters because I'm, I'm older now, I still had a much more enjoyable experience. I think there are some books that have that kind of more of that crossover appeal, mm-hmm. but for so, so many books, I think it's, it's very much, and that, I think that's fine. I don't think a book has to have crossover appeal to do yeah. what it, it needs to do. There was this one quote that I wrote down because it, it was so, it could have been pulled out of my own journal the day that I was reading this book. <laughs> and this is um, when she sees Nemean being nice to other, these strangers that they've met and is basically ignoring her. And what she says is, apparently I'm a bad, I'm bad tempered and jealous, a pretty awful person. I never knew this before, but then I was never in love before. Am I in love? I don't know what I am or who. And I was just like, oh, God. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, reading it now, it hurts and I don't want to look at it. But reading it then, I would have been like, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And I can see how that would connect back then Mm -hmm. and and would kind of repel me a little bit now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's always something that, um, I mean, and that's sort of a, a... broader meta conversation to be had too about like certainly like as an adult who enjoys still reading YA novels including like modern ones that are coming out now and trying to hold this this duality of yes I'm reading this for my own enjoyment and also knowing that it's not for you mm-hmm. like this is that it's it's great when we can jump in and appreciate but like there's there's an interesting tension to hold there and I think there's it gets more complicated and layered when we're also looking back at books that were for us once upon a time mm-hmm. and and that we did read and yeah maybe connected with us in ways that now we're looking at it and like man I don't <laughs> I don't see it but yeah like we we found different things in them then and that that has tremendous value and we can also look at it now and be like but I don't get it anymore. I don't see it. It's not, it's not working for me. With that in mind, sort of looking back at this reread, are there things that you feel like you learned from this book as a writer? Lessons that you feel like you took from this book, either on your initial read forever ago or on this read? Well, the journal style definitely lends to the voiciness of the book. Mm. And I personally am a very voicey writer. I write first person uh, POV and I put, I inject lots and lots of voice and commentary, sarcasm and humor and sass into my narration. And that is one of the things that I saw so prominent in this book Mm -hmm. that I was like, hmm, yeah, maybe that, maybe this is a drop in that, that bucket of influence of why that's how I like to write. Because I, I do, I like to read it. I love to see those, those little inner sassy thoughts of characters just kind of sprinkled in. Yeah. Yeah. Leah, did you have any, any lessons? Yeah, I know this was your first read. (laughs) If there's anything you feel like you took away from it, even sometimes our lessons are what we want to not do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think really it was just interesting to see this diary format used and we kind of discussed mm-hmm. how it can be a double-edged sword. So, I think really thinking about the strengths and the weaknesses of the of the diary form, they're very evident in here because sometimes she executes it very well and other entries feel disconnected. And I think that's also the kind of the benefit and drawback of like any sort of atypical style. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that makes sense. One thing that I was also kind of 
holding on to and curious about as someone else who, you know, spends a lot of time writing fantasy and writing fantasy worlds that are so separate, you know, from, from our own. I was honestly jealous <laughs> of the decision to have a main character who doesn't know anything about the world because there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's a double-edged sword here, which, uh, which is kind of what I want to ask about to see if you guys had thoughts about it. But I feel like one of the things that can be so hard when you jump into, you know, a, a second secondary world setting and you're trying to explain to the reader what's going on because the reader's never been here before and they don't know anything about it. But ostensibly your character does. Mm. And it, it's like always, it's always something that I panic about trying to figure out how to describe the world without having it be like, of course, older brother, you know that we always have to go to the bishop before we go on our mission or whatever the thing is, right? And you're like, nobody would say that. Everybody knows it. That's what you just said. Why are you saying it out loud? Because we're like doing this, mm -hmm. you know, special demonstration, you know, facing the audience, <laughs> uh, even though like that's that's not actually how people would be in this in this moment. And I felt like it was like there was something very satisfying about getting to be in the head of a character who was both learning like the fantastical elements of like what's going on here, the things that none of the characters knew about. And also then was like, yo, what is that? And they're like, Clady, that's a horse. It's, <laughs> it's a horse. But like she's never seen a horse. And it, I feel like it, it aided some of that effort because we could have, it was a lot easier to have these kinds of, you know, Boy, what's that? Clady was asking questions a lot. I feel like that was her one of her most consistent character traits. But it also does kind of, it does inhibit that ability to do some of the other things that I feel like we were describing that we were looking for in this, which is Deep to like, dive. yeah, to dive into it, to analyze it, to, to look at these different depictions of religions and gods and mm -hmm. to like make all these interesting connections because instead our character's like, what's a god? What is any of this? And like that's a unique perspective, but it does also inhibit these deeper dives. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm curious if uh, if either of you had any thoughts about that because that was definitely something that that jumped out to me as far as like a really interesting character choice that so significantly affects the world building. Yeah. Well, it's hard because I feel like this book, the point wasn't to deep dive into anything. It was to just give you like these little snapshots. Yeah. Um, which is is fine, is a choice that you are allowed to make as a writer. Um, <laughs> uh, but one thing I did like about Clady's like co consistent questioning was that you not only got the information, but sometimes but you were always getting the information from a person. So they were going to color that information with their own beliefs. And sometimes they wouldn't even answer her. There was one time where she's like, oh, like, what's that about? And Nemean was like, oh, don't worry about that. And you're like, uh, okay. And so... God, he's such a dick. I know, he's awful. I Seriously, I wrote down so many instances in my notes, and I was just like, <laughs> why? <laughs> so yeah, so it does, it does give opportunities to color in some different things. But yeah, it does... It does definitely put up a barrier against against these deep dives, and I think there's a way around that. I just don't think that this book decided to take any of those ways. Yeah, yeah, that feels like a fair assessment. I think it also made a lot of sense for, given the overarching theme of the book, for so many of the brief snippets to be focused around like religion and ritual and how people live. But I do th again, I do think 
if you're going to write it in this first person journal style, I did want it to be a little bit more introspective because there are definitely times again where it felt like the author was like, isn't this a cool thing? And I'm like, it is. It's very cool. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing with it? Because I think if you're going to have that limited view of the world, there sh I think there should be a clear kind of a, a clearer through line that wasn't always present. Yeah. And honestly, that's been a frustration of mine with YA in a more general mm. sense, because I feel like there are a lot of a lot of books where you're reading and the character just feels like they're purposefully missing out on the introspection. Mm -hmm. Like I remember reading the hunger games and being so irritated that Katniss like couldn't suss out her feelings about these boys because I was like, you're not even bothering to like, you're not even trying. And I understand you're in a survival situation and that that changes things. But also <laughs> like when I was that age thinking about the way that I analyzed those relationships, it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm just going to not think about this. And again, it's like her her situation was very specific to being in a like having to survive, and I get that. But I but I remember reading that book and just being like, I just feel like you ignored all of the things that could have led you to actually figuring out your own problems, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. There's a fine line between what's like a realistic amount of introspection for you know a teen in a variety of different circumstances, and huh, it kind of feels like it would, you know, mess up your plot if uh, this character spent too much time thinking about their problems and making some fairly obvious deductions based mm -hmm. on it. And that starts to feel crappy because you're like, well, now it, it feels like you're, it feels like you, the author, are standing in the way of your character mm. and their growth. And that's less fun. Yeah. That's a lot less fun than a character standing in their own way. But I think also there sometimes tends to be an assumption from adults about the level of introspectiveness that all teens have. Because, mm, I, yeah. yeah, there are some teen, teens who maybe won't be that introspective, but there are others who will be incredibly introspective and very detailed. Totally. And I think you really, like, if you are choosing to write a story with this theme of self-discovery, then mm. you do need to write the character who's going to be a little bit more introspective. And that's not to say that she needs to realize things immediately. I think there is some satisfaction mm -hmm. where you've seen an earlier entry. She's like, I don't know about this. Like, our ghoul proposes to her, essentially. And she's like, that ring wasn't for me. And later, she's like, the ring was for me. I think that could be, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing could work. But the point is, it has to be there somewhere. You can't skip over it and then turn it into external plot and expect the reader to put the pieces together. I mean, the reader, clearly we did as readers, but it's not as satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was a very internal story, but we didn't see a lot of that internal process. Right. And like we can we, we know that it was there. And, you know, maybe this is a character that doesn't write it all out. But in which case, I don't know why you chose to do a diary entry for a character that's not going to write about her feelings uh -huh. if the whole story is about her feelings journey. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Like, there's there's just a series of choices. There are lots of different teens you could tell the story about. If you're going to write a story about a teen who's not that articulate in their introspection, that's cool. That is something that, that, that should exist, too. But maybe not a diary structure in that case. Or if you really want to do the diary structure, then yeah, let's, let's, let, why don't, why you should maybe pick a character who's going to utilize that to tell the story you're trying to tell, which is this internal journey. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is the ending. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I find most interesting is that we've had this whole conversation and we haven't talked about the ending at all, which 
I don't know. I don't want to to just like foreshadow all of like my feelings about that too much. <laughs> right. But she, you know, she gets to Wolf Tower. She finds out that this was all this like weird betrayal, you know, trying to make this destiny happen. And now she's trapped in this weird fortune telling society and and it's bad. And, you know, she eventually gets out thanks to Argul and the other travelers with the Holta. How did people feel about that ending? It felt to me, it felt like a fairly dramatic change in tone. Not that dissimilar to the change in tone of all the other episodes that that the book went mm, on. But mm-hmm. I'm curious if anyone had any particular feelings about the ending. It definitely felt abrupt to mm. me. Yeah, I would have liked to see a more gradual increase of Clady's agency mm-hmm. over the course of the book, mm-hmm. instead of her all of a sudden being like. I'm going to totally destroy the way that this society functions to save myself and them. And I'm like, ah, mm. that's a lot all at once. Because she goes from not making any decisions and just kind of being dragged along on this journey to all of a sudden making huge decisions that just felt not unwarranted, but I just, I would have been more on board if there had been more obvious stair-step learning mm-hmm. throughout the book. Yeah. I know I talked briefly earlier about her, her that sudden change of agency, which I think I kind of alluded to the ending. So I'm not going to talk about the internal thing, although Emily, I think you're completely right. I think there should have been stair steps. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the external because the idea is that, all right, as the lawmaker, you roll dice and you assign random random things to random people and they could be good or bad because that that mimics nature that's how life is which again in that case then just let life happen i don't know but then she burns the dice she gives out random nice laws and she there's a part where she's like should i have done that i think i might have messed things up and then but she's riding away with Argul and everyone's like, yeah, everyone loves each other. And then she sees a fire and she's like, oh, my God, I definitely messed it up. And someone else is like, no, they're fireworks. Everyone's celebrating. And she's like, that's good. And then that's the end. <laughs> like, what? You just learned agency and you just got told by someone else that it was a good thing. And you're like, no, actually, it is a good thing. You again, you did. You did upheave like this entire system. There are presumably people who are benefiting from this system. We know there are. Nemean was, although he was also kind of living in terror. What are they doing? Also, you don't really interact with a lot of the people in the society. You see, now it's like it's a reversal of fortunes where you were the slave. That's how it was kind of referred to. And then you are now served by slaves. And you're kind of like, I feel kind of bad for them, but you don't really get to know them. You don't internally figure out what they want. You don't, it's, Mm. it's very, I felt very disconnected from the society and I felt very disconnected from the ending, except I just felt kind of like vaguely alarmed and uncertain, (laughs) you know, like, okay, theoretically (laughs) everyone is free now, but are they, I mean, what, what happens to these people who, because again, Yes, there are no random dice laws, but there are people with considerable resources. You don't think that they're going to enforce their position in society by other means? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. These people who have been enjoying power all this time are just going to be like, well, (laughs) now that the dice are gone, I guess we'll all just live in harmony. You didn't. Yeah. And I I think that, again, that's part of the reason also why that through line about religion, about laws, about society needed to be a lot stronger 
and you, she needed to build that up more gradually mm. as well, where, again, it felt very meandering. So I, I was frustrated by the ending from the internal arc perspective, and I was frustrated by the ending from the external arc perspective. Again, because in mm. both cases, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like the author thought about how to ramp the reader into it, how to make it feel realistic and satisfying. 100%. I mean, even even as simple as like, you know, we've, we've discussed how the book kind of went from like, we're in this place. Okay, now we're in this place. And there wasn't like a through line there. And obviously like, okay, the ending is they come to the new place, right? They finally get to Wolf Tower. But we don't even have like character through lines, right? Because Nemean, though somewhat unbeknownst to Clady, has been the only through line we've had thus far, right? As this uh, slowly clarifying antagonist. And then they get to Wolf Tower and he's like, yep, I was a villain, and then disappears and is never seen again. <laughs> yeah. He's not even there for most of that. He mm-hmm. runs off with his, uh, his, his wife. His wife! But also in the middle of the book, he's also disappears regularly because he has a romance with another girl. That's true. <laughs> Also that, but at least presumably, like, you're like, well, he's, like, he's there, and he pops up occasionally to be like, Clady, we should talk. But, like, here, then, like, he comes, he sees his wife, Nemia never appears again. We have a totally new character who we've been introduced to, and a totally new society. And, like, we've talked about there is this thematic sense of, you know, unjust and arbitrary rules and rituals and how they're a problem. And this is clearly another version of that. But because it's the ending... And because it is supposed to have this, like, emotional resonance of, like, Clady mm-hmm. rising to her her power and throwing down these laws and, and, you know, freeing herself and, by extension, this society. Yeah, I wanted that to have some sort of resonance. But we spent probably less time in mm-hmm. the Wolf Tower Society than we did even in any of the other places we'd stopped before. We yeah. didn't have any consistent characters. And, and I get, like, there's something... Nemean was... Fucking, he was not going to be the big bad because he just wasn't... wasn't He didn't have enough substance to be the big bad. He was an errand boy. He was an errand boy. Let's be real. But in that case, like, I wanted something of Irondell before that so that we could have seeded her as the big bad or seeded this understanding of, like, what the Wolf Tower mm. culture was, right? Like, if mm. everywhere they had stopped... You know, and they'd been like, we're going to Wolf Tower. And people were like, and there were like mysteries (laughs) building about the place or the people or the care, like something. But instead, it it truly felt like it was just another stop on this train that just Mm -hmm. happened to be the last stop. And it it didn't even feel like it wasn't it wasn't particularly Clady's stop because, you know, we get some like teased out of her personal narrative of like, okay. Uh, you know, there's sort of a connection between the place that she was a maid and this place, and it maybe has something to do with her parents, whose identity she's even more uncertain of at this point. Mm. But it's not like a clear line. It's not like, wow, this place predicted my birth and now I have returned to it. It's like, no, some people made a deal. I might have just been a random person. So it doesn't feel that personal to the character. It doesn't feel particularly resonant to us as readers because there's just it's just another stop. Yeah, I think like Tanithly tried to do that with the the immortal flower that Nemean presents to Jazania, who's kind of the old ruling matriarch of where um, Clady grew up. But it's mentioned. It's like yeah, it's immortal. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, 
And then at the end, it's like, yeah, and that flower was a symbol of the deal that was made because, you know, surprise, Jizania is from this other place. And I think that could have been an effective twist. This also reminded me that twists are good, are like the best twists are the ones where once you see the twist, you're like, there's nothing else that could have happened because it's built up to. And I just, again, I feel like repeatedly there's this issue where I didn't get the sense that the author fully thought out the through line through the story. Right. Or yeah, maybe, maybe that existed behind the scenes, but it was so behind the scenes that it was like, like there are fun questions to be left with. And that was something that I did like about, you know, the story. I liked some areas where we don't know what happened to the cities. I think it's interesting that we don't really know. We're like, were her parents like partially royal or not? We don't really know, mm-hmm. but we've got some weird information. Like those kinds of things can be satisfying to leave those blank spaces. Mm-hmm. But there's other things where you're like, I actually kind of care because you've made it an integral part of your twist. Why this person is connected to this person is connected to Clady. And if, if we're leaving those blank, then it does, it feels just as arbitrary as these friggin' laws that Clady is burning down. You're like, why, why was it her? Because of a deal someone made and we don't know enough about it for it to feel mm-hmm. resonant or sensible. It just ends up feeling like, okay. So like, when is she going to burn these, these, these dice and, and destroy these laws? Because like, clearly that's what we're going to do here. Yeah, it just, I think, yeah, like, we, we talked a lot about, like, lacking that internal emotional resonance, but I I didn't know enough about this society to even, like, really care about it beyond, like, boy, this mm. sounds twisted and dark. And I agree. Some of the laws she left people with, I'm like, mm-hmm. I see what you were doing, but can you imagine if you lived in a society where they're like, you have to follow through on these laws or you will be imprisoned below ground forever, and then it was like, you need to <laughs> fall in love within one year. What? Also, like, what? how do you monitor some of the laws? Like, for example, one of the laws was like, these five people have to go find something funny that they can laugh at. And it's like, how can you tell if they really laughed? If I were that person, I would just be like, tell me a joke. And then I'd be like, ha 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 problem solved, you know? Like, how can you, it's just right. so, it's so, I don't know. <laughs> But it does indicate, because you're right, like, that's true for the laws that Clady passes before she leaves. But for the laws that, it's also true for the laws that were passed before that, these, like, really messed up ones. And what that, to me, indicates is there's probably a pretty vigorous police Mm. state that you didn't do Mm -hmm. anything to destroy. Like, Yeah, they talk about the, like, the, was it, like, like, almost, like, rifle, rifles mm. in the streets watching them? Yeah, yeah. Kind of mirroring, like, crystal eyes from Pashamba. And I'm just, and yeah, that's, and we don't know what that's about. That's another big question that I'm like, oh. Yeah, they just don't actually do anything when Clady thinks they're gonna. But yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I just, I just don't get the sense that the author thought very deeply about some of these things. I'm sorry to say. It doesn't feel like a final draft. It does not. Not at all. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it, it felt like there was such interesting stuff that could have been like played with, but it was sort of just like played with the way that you'll see like like cats play with their toys, where they're like, "This one's fun." Okay, I'm bored now. Next one, like you know, like that's. I mean, very specifically, it's established there where she's like, "I think that Irondale wanted me to destroy the society because I think everybody feels trapped by this, and I think like that's why she kept being like, "There's only one copy of these books. They're very fragile." <laughs> Don't let anything happen to these books. 
for example, I don't know, throwing them in the fireplace. Definitely don't do that. Right. Don't do that. <laughs> Wink. And she's like, oh, and I think she's been making it up for years, right? She's just been making up cruel laws. That's a really interesting idea that also isn't really followed up on or explored. But it also means like, okay, so you got rid of the books. What makes you think that the whatever other towers exist, right? Besides the wolf tower, I forget that one of them is not going to be like, oh, we have new books, new laws. Uh, we are the ones now we have. We promise these books are real. Um, then these laws definitely come from these books. Like that's you've established that this is all arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And then you burn down one arbitrary thing mm -hmm. and we're like, huzzah. And I don't quite remember, but I also don't. Do we come back to the society in later books? I don't know why I'm asking this because I, I remember. didn't remember anything about this book in the first <laughs> place. I certainly don't remember anything about the sequels, except that at some point there's there's an evil sister. There's an evil the sister. Second, oh, God, I don't remember. But I think the second book takes place in a completely different location, yes. different from all the ones that we've already been to. Yes. So there are robot like slaves in the next book. I didn't remember I think, anything about robots. I was like, what? This book has robots? I actually read the synopsis <laughs> of, I think, some of the other books. And there was an evil sister, and it turns out her mother is also evil, and she's not really the princess because the mother switched a, a random baby for her own baby and then took, like, pretended like she was taking a random baby, which, how did the the house, this ultra strict society was like, yeah, yeah, you could take the random baby. That's not suspicious at all. Like, how did she sneak it out? I don't know, but she did. And so she's not really a princess, but it's okay because she's like a different kind of leader and she finds out she has other special powers. But something else that got me was like, she's like, yep, I'm going to marry our ghoul. That happens at the beginning. And then she leaves. She gets kidnapped again and she's gone from our ghoul for the rest of the... I think she I gets think kidnapped. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whew. I, I think this is another it actually reminds me a little bit of Daughter of the Moon which we read um, I think that's not that's what the series is called but we read that with Rebecca also for this podcast and it's from a similar era of YA I think this one is actually older than that one but there were definitely parts where it's like we're just gonna run through the plot how is any of this significant don't know will any of us come up again who knows and it was very dialogue heavy as well so it just, I think that was another thing that it just felt like it was like, there were, it was a different time for storytelling. And this one just do doesn't have the longevity. Yeah, it's true. But it sounds like we've learned a lot from it. Does anyone have anything else that they feel like burning things they wanted to talk about that we haven't really touched on? Uh, I, I do want to say that when she was like, oh, maybe... Ironel just wanted me to to mess everything up. Even that made me mad because I was like, you have this one moment of agency <laughs> yeah. and we're already being like, I'm doing this, but it's not my idea. <laughs> just give Why? me one moment. I just want a crumb of agency. Please, Jennifer Lee. A crumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's brutal. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, I think, uh, I think that wraps us for today. Uh, thanks for joining us, Emily. This was a delight. Do you want to tell the people where they can find you on the internet? Sure. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have a booktube channel. That's Ink Not Blood, which is my same handle on Twitter, and you can follow me there. And, you know, you know keep, up, uh, keep tabs on my design of a uh, YouTube reality TV game show. Coming your way. Yeah, I, I feel like you were joking about that, but I'm legitimately going to keep tags about this and bother you about it. I am not joking. Good. 
All right. Well, and thank you all for wandering with us today here on Working Title. You can also find us on Twitter at WorkTitlePod. That's at WorkTitlePod. And join us for our next flashback episode, where we will be reading Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Thanks so much, folks. Have a good one.